This is Welcome to Dylan's House, our family's real-life story navigating autism and how it inspired us to pay it forward. Join us, meet us, give back. Dylan'sHouse.org. This is Welcome to Dylan's House, our family's true, real, raw story of navigating autism and how it inspired us to pay it forward. This is Kevin Shope. I'm here with my partner of 26 years, Amy Shope. Amy, say hi. Oh, hello. You came up with a new instead of lovely or beautiful. It's going to get cha- more challenging every time. But um, So welcome, uh, everyone. Thank you for listening in. Thanks to all our first-time listeners or for those that had a chance to check out our first three episodes. We appreciate you coming back. You know, what we really wanted to start to talk about and tackle tonight is we talked a lot in the first three episodes about what life was like raising our son. So for those new listeners, um, you know, we have two children. We have our son, Dylan, who is 22 years old now and is autistic, would probably be considered at the more severe end of the spectrum. Um, And we also have a 19-year-old daughter, Anderson, who is a sophomore in college. And, you know, in our first episode's really talked about what life was like raising the kids, navigating the autism diagnosis, what our home life was like dealing with behaviors. You know, we told a lot of some funny stories, but a lot of the struggles that we were going through at that time as a family. And we have a lot more we can tell, a lot more stories to share. But we felt at this point, you know, we wanted to kind of bring it full circle and talk about our decision to transition Dylan out of our home at age 17, how we were led to make that decision, and then how it's gone since. So, Amy, before we dive into that, just wanted to ask everyone um, if you want to learn more about us and follow our journey Please check us out on social media. We're on Facebook at Dylan's House. We're on Instagram at This Is Dylan's House. Also on TikTok and LinkedIn. So if you have a minute, please check that out. Like, share, do all that stuff. We would appreciate it. With that set up, like where were we at as a family when Dylan was in his teen years that kind of led us to even consider transitioning him out of our family home? And there's just so many different ways to go with this story and so many like memories that come like flooding back. But I think, you know, puberty was obviously really challenging. I can remember sending email after email to the neurologist and, you know, the behavior staff at his school with things that were going on. And it was just but when I think back to it. Um, obviously like anybody, you remember bits and pieces, but kind of like the main point in my head that knew, because this was a topic I really didn't want to think about. I mean, I never really thought that it would go well. I didn't really think it would work. Dylan was kind of my 24 seven, you know, we've talked about if you listened on the past episodes, his sleeping and, you know, the rides that we would take him on. It really was just my entire world other than working and Anderson. So I, I never really wanted to entertain the idea because I he wouldn't understand what was going on. But I do remember thinking I better get a little serious about it. 
when you came home one night, and I don't even remember what had led up to it, probably just the normal, you know, Dylan throws a fit, he won't take his pills, he hits me, we get in a fight, and you just said, I can't keep doing this. I just can't do this anymore. And I mean, to me, that was kind of a defining moment because, you know, what does that mean? You know, the initial Amy response is to get a little feisty and say, well, I don't know what that means, but, you know, what do you mean you can't do it? This is life. But then the more I started talking to Dylan's neurologist, I always call it like Team Dylan, Mm -hmm. which has changed over the years. But, um, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that Dylan went to KidsLink in Streetsboro, which was really life-changing for us from the time we met all those individuals. And Dylan had already been going to Dr. Reed, who um, is a neurologist. That's her practice, um, you know, with some other individuals. And she said to me during an appointment, you have to really start thinking of this because he is going to adapt a lot more than you think. And even though she was probably one of the people that I believed more than anyone, I really still didn't believe her Mm -hmm. that it was going to work. And just to take a step back, so, and I did say that, right? I think there was one night where I just said, I don't know that we can do this anymore, right? And I might have said I, but I think I kind of meant us as a family because I think we were at a point you know, as Dylan was kind of going through puberty, becoming a teenager, I think a couple things were at least going through my mind, right? One was just the stress, and we talked about this in earlier episodes, but just the stress it would cause on our family, right? The behaviors, the sleeping habits. You know, one thing we didn't mention is as Dylan got older, he also, we found out he also has a seizure disorder, So he was having fairly frequent seizures at home at that time. There was just a lot of stress and pressure on our family. And, you know, it was a point where, you know, it obviously was having an effect on our our younger daughter, Anderson. I think it was having an effect on our marriage. And it was just having an effect on our family unit as a whole. And so I think that led me to say that. I also think that I think I touched on this in an earlier episode, but, you know, we didn't know anything about autism, right? And I think you think like other things, it's something that is going to get better over time, is going to get cured, you know, someday our child will be more normal in quotation marks. But I think as he entered his teen years, you know, you started to really think, is this, is this ever going to change? Is this ever going to get better? Are these behaviors going to be? And the other thing was, you know, Dylan's a big guy, right? Mm-hmm. So now he's what, like six, he's six two, two, 240, 240, right? So as he was getting it, so the behaviors and the aggression get harder to control when you have someone that big and that strong and just kind of coming to the realization at some point, like, is this ever really going to substantially change? And is this just like the rest of our lives as a family? Are we going to live like this? Well, and when he was, you know, by the time he moved out, he was 17. He moved out, you know, March 2nd, 2018. So he had just turned 17. So this started when he was 16. 
a lot of the serious like talks. So Anderson was 13. And, you know, there's just a lot that was going on, obviously. But, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, it didn't get easier. Like, I always thought it got more difficult because he was harder to handle and his behaviors didn't taper down. They actually were exaggerated and the sleeping issues. And, you know, then you throw in, like, not being able to find caregivers or caregivers calling off because they were you know, coming to our home. And I mean, these are, you know, they're, these were good people, but a lot of them were kind of like, well, if I call off, it's not a big deal. He's just living at home with his parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of like guilt and many different emotions that go along with autism too. The fact that you should want to come home after work at six o'clock and be able to cook dinner or, you know, speak to your husband or help your daughter with homework and, you know, even caregivers that we tried to have stay till like seven, kind of six o'clock was our magic number. We usually had a caregiver like three to six. And then the second you would get home, Dylan would see you and he would want to leave. So we tried to extend that and have a caregiver maybe stay till seven, seven thirty, even eight o'clock, kind of do the bedtime routine with Dylan. But that never worked for him. That works for maybe some other individuals, but he couldn't, he has a hard time with transitions anyways, even just daily transitions, you know, getting out of the van, going into his house. So he didn't understand why a caregiver would still be there when Kevin and I were home, when you and I were home. Right. So I think that, you know, to that point, thinking, how are we going to do this for the rest of our lives? Yeah, it's tough, too, because to your point, when you raise a child, well, and I guess you can look at this in different ways, but a lot of ways they require less attention, less yes. maintenance, less, you know, things you have to deal with as they get older. Right. I guess there are different The worries things, right? change, like with, the, right. you know, but right. They should be a little more self-sufficient. Right. Which with Dylan, as he entered his teen years, it was almost going in the opposite direction at that point, right. or at least it felt like that. Right. And again, with him get bigger and stronger, it kind of exaggerated everything. And But then the other side of it is, you know, because you wonder with that, like, how can you keep going like this in your home with your family, dealing with this on a daily basis. But the other side of the coin is, you know, in a lot of ways, Dylan, and even to this day, there are things about him that are similar to a much younger person or younger child, right? Like just, I think of like the unconditional love that he has for his family, mm -hmm. that he has for us, right? how he is content with the simple things in life, right? It's almost like a child in a lot of ways. And, you know, just wanting to, before bed every night, you know, wanting us to sit with him on the couch and pat his back or, you know, it's almost like he has, you know, we had his unconditional, when we had, we still have his, un, you know, just unconditional love. In a lot of ways, it's like, you're, you're caring for a child, right? But it's a grown man mm. with these behaviors. So part of it is the thought that he would live for us with ever, forever was kind of unimaginable. But the fact that there would be a time when he wouldn't live with us because it's still like we're caring for a child was also kind of hard to imagine too. Well, yeah, I just, I honestly didn't think that 
he would be able to live without us because I didn't think that he would understand because you don't know what's going through his mind because Dylan does not, he talks, but he does not communicate like you and I do. Mm -hmm. So he will answer questions. He can express, you know, needs. If he's hungry, he can say where he wants to go. But I just really wondered and it just killed me as a mom to think what would be going through his mind and, you know, he moved into the house that we lived in when he was one. We had his first birthday party there. So for him, that's the only place he'd ever lived. Mm-hmm. So I just, the thought of it made me sick. Right. So do you recall when we really started to kind of seriously consider this and you know how we went about it? Well, I mean, he moved out in March, so I do not have like a date of when we started, but I know we entered into conversations with Jimmy and we started looking, I mean, kind of like the biggest defining moment was we started looking at some houses. So, yeah. so not, yeah. not to cut you up. So, so Jimmy Sutman owns a local agency here in our area. Correct. And we had been using you know, we'd gotten to know Jimmy and we'd be using that agency for caregiver support at home. Right. Dylan so, has a waiver through the state of Ohio. He had a waiver that allotted for so many hours a week of a caregiver coming to our home. Yes. Um, and it was by no means like 24-7. It was, I don't remember what it was at that time, but a couple, couple of hours a day, right? Yes. A couple of hours on the weekends. So that's how we got to know Jimmy and, and start working with the agency. And so that's kind of what started to lead to us kind of exploring this with, with him. Yeah. I mean, he came out, we had some conversations and it was kind of, I mean, like, again, this would have been 2017 and pre-COVID, more, you know, so he basically showed us, you know, I remember there was a house that we looked at that a family owned similar to us. And, you know, Dylan would be like a roommate. We looked at that house. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I if we, we looked at two or three different yeah. houses, didn't we? Yeah. And then, it, you know, ultimately it has to, it's up to that other family as well and meet Dylan, see if it's a fit, all of kind of the moving pieces and talking through it. And then, you know, where Dylan ultimately moved to, you know, Jimmy, who's, he's so amazing. He always has, you know, the best ideas. And he, so he kind of came up with this. No one was currently living in this space in a, in a big home that they had for grown men living in. There right. was a basement. And so, and, and these were all just for people that might not understand. These were all homes that, you know, other clients of the agency, you know, whether they were autistic or had other disabilities. So I don't don't think you really use the home term group home anymore, but some people might understand that supported living, you know, where they had other clients, the agency that there might be a a space for Dylan. So we looked at a few homes just for whatever reason, didn't seem like it was the right fit. And then the location you're speaking of that Dylan eventually transitioned into was actually in the parking lot of a Catholic church. And it was the old rectory where all the priests live. So if you think about it, it was actually a pretty good setup for that because on the first two floors, there were separate like bedroom and like little living area. So each of the priests would have like their own space. So it worked out well for clients. 
but the space they had for Dylan was in the basement. Wasn't really set up to be a living space. It was actually, we were told where they used to count the the offering after church every Sunday. So it was like the money counting room, but it was a basement and there was a bathroom down there and it was a nice, nice size space. And, you know, I, I think we thought it would be good because, you know, Dylan would have his own space, right? So whether it was he needed to cool down because of behaviors, there was something going on, or he just wanted to get away from, from other people. Obviously, he had a care, would have a caregiver with him 24-7, but he kind of had his own level in his own space. But he could go upstairs. There was like a really nice kitchen, family mm-hmm. room, dining room, hang out with the other individuals in the home if he wanted to. But it was about 25 minutes away from where we lived. So it so, was, yeah, that's a good point. It wasn't right around the corner. No, I was not. I mean, I knew that it was the right spot. And I obviously put all my faith in, you know, what Jimmy and Isle thought. But I wasn't ever thrilled with the location because, you know, I wanted to be able to see him as much as I could, you know, especially having just transitioned out. So that was, it was a bit of a hike. So you mentioned before you called Team Dylan, right? And that's, we kind of refer to that as, because it does take a team, right? And so we had Dylan's, you know, neurologist, we had his school, we had Isle, the agency, and and Jimmy Sutman, Uh, we had his SSA, you know, and and everybody kind of worked together as a team, to kind of, because there was preparation that had to go into making this transition. So, what do you what do you recall about that? Well, I mean, Dylan is not. You obviously can't say like, "Hey, Dylan, you're moving." He wouldn't understand that. So, school. The first thing they did was like we took a lot of pictures of the outside of it, and worked with the school for them to do a social story, which usually works for Dylan. And that is when we started the distinction between mom and dad's house and Dylan's house. Actually, the name of our nonprofit, you know, that's how it came about. Because when Dylan was 16 and we were prepping for him to move out, school started showing him this social story. This was probably like a month before he moved out pictures. This is Dylan's house. This is where Dylan's going to live. This is mom and dad's house. Dylan will visit mom and dad's house. Mom and dad will visit Dylan. And we mm-hmm. we started putting some things slowly into this space. Like before we even put the bed, we put a bean bag. He loves bean bags. We took some right. of his sticker books and his puzzles. And it was probably about two weeks before he moved in that a caregiver would take him for like an hour. Like they would, he would come home from school to our house, hang out. And then maybe they'd go there for like an hour and he would just kind of hang out so he could get used to it. So that was kind of the, I mean, there was prep on the back end that he didn't know about, but you can't prep Dylan for something like too early. Just as, you know, if he's coming over on Sunday to visit and he knows this, he's coming at four, you can't tell him at two. Or he'll lose his mind and he'll be in the minivan with the seatbelt on ready to come over two hours early. So you can't, you know, it was kind of like a last minute. I mean, I remember down to the minute, like the actual day that he moved out. So we had this planned out for a while with Team Dylan, right? But we didn't really start prepping Dylan until closer, till it was actually going to happen, Right. Right. 
So we knew it was going to happen. As we told people that we were going to do this and we were doing it, what, what are some of the reactions that you recall? I mean, this is a sore subject because I had caregivers. And let me be clear, no caregivers that we currently work with. Uh-huh. Um, we have amazing caregivers. And everyone on the current Team Dylan is fantastic. And a lot of them transo- transitioned over with Dylan. And a lot that we use that we don't use now because they they graduated from college, they got married, they moved away. But there were some individuals that really did not think it was a good idea. And actually one in particular that um, told me off in our own home, in my kitchen, basically about what a bad mother I was, what bad parents we were, how we were going to ruin Dylan's life, that he was never going to understand, that we were being selfish. I mean, I could go on and on and on about her. And, you know, first of all, she didn't want to work in the home that he was going to be living in. That was the number one issue. But I mean, and not just her, because she's still, she went after me again a couple years ago, but not just her, but a lot of people, friends, I mean, people probably meaning well, but you're, you're letting your son move out. You're putting him in a group home. Um, really kind of the, not everyone, because there was a lot of public I mean, a lot of um, positive response, but a lot of people who had no idea what it was like to live in our shoes acted like it would be horrible of us to do such a thing. And then there was also another group that I don't think meant any harm, but compared it to going away to college. And I'm sorry, we're supposed to be honest and real and raw. That Mm -hmm. really annoys me almost more than anything. Why? Because it's not going away to college. So when someone goes away to college, they've usually chosen to do that. They've picked the college. They've applied. They're excited. Of course, there's a lot of nervousness that comes along with it. You know, I went through this with Anderson. And usually they can operate a phone. They can call. They can text. They can come home for a visit. So Dylan did not really have any choice in this matter. Obviously, like anything in his life, we have to make the best choices for him as his parents, as his guardian, and we have to do what's best for him. But Dylan could not pick up the phone and call me or text me if he was upset. He really probably couldn't even express that to someone. So I would have people just kind of like brush it aside like, oh, it's you know, another favorite of mine is, well, we ra- we have children so that we can raise them and, you know, let them go. And all of those things, I think, are a little insensitive coming from a mom that's very sensitive, which I'm not going to apologize for. And especially when you have a child with special needs, you have to be their advocate. I think you do maybe take everything a little too much to heart. But there was definitely public opinion, loud and clear of what we were doing, whether they agreed or not. Mm -hmm. Yes, there was. And when we made this decision, I mean, how did you envision that it would go? How did you think it would work out? Horrible. 
I thought it would be horrible. What do you, why, I thought why he'd, do you say I that? thought he would move. I thought he would have to move back. That's kind of the way I am. I'm a very anxious person. And I, I don't want to say that I think the worst because I'm a positive person. But, you know, when Dylan went away to camp, like that should be a whole episode. The whole respite camp mm-hmm. he used to go to. Anything like that where I just walked around holding my phone waiting for the phone call because if you listen to any of our other podcasts and I don't you know that's all that happened to mm-hmm. me during his entire childhood was he got kicked, kicked out, out of daycares kicked, kicked out, out of everywhere schools. yep kicked out of daycares kicked out of public school constantly being asked to me to come pick him up so I and I mean Dylan we told you we lived in a house where we had the doors locked from the inside. We had the windows barred. You're not allowed to do that. This, you know, this home that Dylan was moving into, mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously not safe. And so that couldn't happen. So uh, what was to keep Dylan from waking up in the middle of the night because he didn't sleep well, opening the door and, you know, running into the street? Yes, he had a 24-7 caregiver. Yes, they're not supposed to fall asleep, but people are human. So I just envisioned every possible horrible thing. And I I really am better today, but I still (laughs) always think that something's going to happen and it's not going to work five years later, almost six. So we had the date we were going to transition them. And, you know, working with the team, we had this whole plan you mentioned starting a couple weeks before, you know, one of his caregivers normally had him for a couple of hours in the afternoon. They would go to what would be his new home. And we started gradually moving some of his stuff over there. He would spend some time there, hoping he would get comfortable with it. But then the day came when it was time for the actual move, right? And so we knew, I think it was a Friday? It was a Friday. You know, and Dylan is still going to school every day, right? So he was being transported to school every day. And this would continue after he, he moved into, quote unquote, his own home. He would still get picked up every day, go to school, but he would obviously come back to his new home. So this was on a Friday. You know, the plan was that He would go to school as normal in the morning, come back to our house. No, he did not come back. He didn't? Okay. That was not the, not to correct you, but that was not the plan. Okay. (laughs) So, no. Okay, go ahead and correct me. He got picked up in the morning for school, like always, and then he got driven from school to his new house. Okay. And because he would have been like too confused. So literally I said goodbye to him in the morning when he went to school and he had no idea. And he literally did not come back home for a year. And I was going to bring up that point because, you know, the team that helped us with this school neurologist, um, everyone, you know, that was kind of their advice, right? Was first of all, I don't think they wanted us to really see Dylan at all for the first few days after he moved out. And then, like you said, and we can talk more about this, but he did not come back to to our family home for a year. Till his birthday. So it was from March 2nd to February 17th. Right, almost a year after Mm -hmm. he moved out. And we could talk about why we did that. But you knew that when he was leaving that Friday that you weren't going to see him for several days. And that he wouldn't be coming back home 
for a long time, right? But obviously, that's not something he could comprehend. Yeah, he didn't know that. And I had to rely on communicating with caregivers and staff to find out what was going on because I think any mom would worry. You know, just like when you... You know, when you do have a a child move out and go to college, you know, they give you updates. They text you, hopefully. I mean, I've heard it's not quite as constant with the boys. But, you know, with Dylan, I had no idea what was going through his mind. I mean, I've been told some stories like since that I'm glad I didn't know, you know, that night. What, What stories have you been told? Well, I mean, he was upset and crying. And the house manager was there and the caregiver and Jimmy went over and they all were having to comfort him until he fell asleep. He probably had no idea mm-hmm. why he was staying there. And I'm sure he thought he was coming home. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he thought it was some sort of camp that he was going to be coming home from. And what kind of emotions were you having that first night or those first couple of days? Well, not even the. I mean, I was a lunatic because... First of all, I didn't really know what to do with myself. Our house was like never quiet ever. And then he just doesn't come back. And it's like silence. Like the silence is just literally like deafening because it's so quiet. And I remember it was a Friday. So like Saturday, you know, I worked out and I remember taking the refrigerator apart, like actually taking (laughs) it apart. Not something I did on a regular basis. I don't think our house has ever been as clean as it was uh, right after Dylan moved out. Because you didn't know what to do with yourself. You needed something to keep yourself busy. Right. And I mean, I still am a person that doesn't like to sit down because I never really did sit down Mm -hmm. with Dylan. But I couldn't go see him. You know, and caregivers are busy. The house manager. I mean, that house had five guys in it Mm -hmm. she doesn't have time to just be texting dylan's mom all the time and i think they also wanted me to realize like you know he's growing up he's going to be an adult he's going to be independent you don't know you don't need to know every detail of what goes on because i would have worried and i don't think they shared every detail no which is probably a good thing sometimes i know too much now and then that equally even though it's things that i've asked (laughs) i just remember you know, to your point, not only, and it was like, it was like flipping a switch, right? It was like in the morning he was there after work, he was gone. And it was just such a sudden change of, like you said, how quiet the house seemed, like almost not knowing what to do with ourselves. And I'm sure that was amplified for you. And then just constantly waiting, like you, like being on pins and needles, right? And I think that has never completely gone away. I think it's a lot less now than it was at the time. But I think for the first days, weeks, it was like you were, you just, you couldn't really relax because you were just waiting for that call or for something to happen. I just assumed that they would say, this is not going to work. He, we can't handle him. We can't keep him here. He's going to have to come back home. Here, he ran away. He, I mean, there were plenty of times that he ran out the front door and down the road and who knows where, and I didn't know. They didn't tell me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were plenty of amazing things that he did. Right. But, you know, which we could talk about. But, no, I really, I'm not a pessimist, but I did not think it would work. And it was, 
it's still a hard decision. It's still hard. I mean, it was the best decision. It's great for him. He's doing well. It's a lot better for me now that he's about 10 minutes away. Right. And we'll get all into all that in a future episode. But, you know, at first, and we talked in the past episodes about Dylan's sleeping habits and how that affected your sleeping habits, because he would always want mom when he would get up in the middle of the night and not go back to bed. And, you know, when he first left, did you start getting a a solid eight hours of sleep every night? (laughs) I still don't. I, I wake up all night. I mean, that could be a bunch of things, age, but a lot of it is just that's how I slept for 17 years. So I don't normally like fall asleep and sleep all night long. Right. Yeah. It's the Dylan effect. It's okay. (laughs) So I think this is probably a good point to wrap up this episode. And again, a lot more to this story to share post-transition. And we'll do that in our next episode. But Before we wrap up, this episode will probably be released about a week or so after Thanksgiving, but we're actually recording this evening. It is Thanksgiving Eve. Eve, is that a thing? So it's it's a Tuesday evening before Thanksgiving. So just wanted to take a minute and mention some, some things and some people that we're thankful for to kind of wrap up this episode. And, you know, I wanted to start out by you know, thanking our producer of the podcast, uh, Lisa Resnick and Dandelion Inc. She has graciously donated her studio and her time to us. And this podcast wouldn't be possible without her. So we're very thankful for Lisa. We're also thankful for all of our great board members of our nonprofit Dylan's House. And you can get to know them by going to our website at dylanshouse.org. But We had this crazy idea, which we'll also talk about in the future of starting this nonprofit a little over a year ago. And we had 11 individuals that agreed to go on that ride with us. So we're very thankful for them. And Amy, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. So obviously a lot of people that I'm so thankful for on this journey, but I mainly want to say thank you to everyone that has believed in us from the get-go, that has bought t-shirts and donated, that has been sponsors and that has really like jumped on board and kind of came along this ride with us. We're just very thankful because it's been a great journey for us. And we know this nonprofit will do the same thing for so many families. So I'm very thankful for that. Very well said. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Thank you for listening. And hopefully uh, we will talk soon. Thank you. Welcome to Dylan's House was made possible by our partnership with Dandelion Inc. Follow our journey at Dylan's House on Facebook and TikTok. This is Dylan's House on Instagram and learn more about us at dylanshouse.org. If you like our stories at Welcome to Dylan's House, please subscribe, like, and share.